0: Welcome to the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, March 6th. I'm Anastasia Ugova, your host. For yesterday's episode, senior fellow Jagadish Gokhale explained his position on executive pay, arguing that how much CEOs take home is nobody's business but the shareholders. Today, managing editor of regulation magazine Tom Fiery adds his own two cents to the debate over how much executives should be paid by the firms they lead. Scholars Jagadish Goekly and Jerry Taylor recently wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal arguing that CEO pay need not be capped. Do you have anything to add to that
1: argument? Well, I have some disagreements with it. And I'm uncomfortable with that because, first of all, I'm a huge fan of Jagadish's work, and I challenge him with great trepidation. And I'm a fan of Jerry's work and challenge him as well. But I want to pick a couple quibbles with things that they said. The first thing they argued is that we should pay CEOs more than we do now, and that that would somehow be better for workers. I think they're incorrect with that. The second is they claim that there's no public policy issue with CEO pay. And I think they're wrong with that too. But the reason I think they're wrong in both of those is going to be different than what Most people out there talking about social justice, why they argue that it's wrong. I want to submit that CEO pay is absolutely no different than pay for any other worker anywhere else on the wage scale. So from the guy at the lowest level, the guy in the middle level, the low-level managers, all the way up, they are paid in accordance with what other people with the same skills would be willing to take. It's all competition at various skill levels, plus there might be some sort of a premium put on top of that to encourage good behavior, it's kind of an anti-shirking premium if you follow the academic literature. If I am willing to do a job and I can do it at a certain level for $10 an hour and someone else is willing to do it for $9.50 an hour, the firm is going to hire the guy doing $9.50 or else I'd better lower my price to meet him. Same is true with CEOs. A firm is going to hire the best CEO they can get, but they're going to keep the price in mind. Or if they're not, they're being irrational. Because CEOs seem to be scarce, CEOs can demand a lot higher income than what, say, you or I or you know, most other people can demand. Because in theory, CEOs are bringing a different set of skills to the table and those skills are rare.
0: You're talking about improving skill sets to improve salaries across the board.
1: That's the only way to really raise worker pay. All this talk about minimum wage, all this talk about redistribution. I think all of that is really just silly politics. The only way to really raise people's pay levels is simply to raise their skills, especially in comparison to other workers. Yeah, okay, nominally, we can raise what their pay is. You know, we can say it's $12 an hour instead of $3 an hour or whatever we can change it to. But ultimately, what determines what you can buy in the marketplace is the skills you bring to the marketplace. If I'm more skilled than most other people, I'll be able to afford more things than most other people.
0: What about just skimming on incentives? So you're you're paying people the least that you can for the most productivity, but if you incentivize them more, if you give them a better pay structure or more options, they're probably going to produce more, and then you don't need to pay so much to your CEO to turn the bottom line around.
1: That's a theory you hear a lot, but if it's true, then firms are wildly, wildly irrational. Firms are in the business of making money. That's all they're out there to do. If they can make more money by paying their workers $20 an hour than $15 an hour, they will pay them $20 an hour or the other way around. The way to get that salary increasing again, the way to make it more profitable for the firm to hire you at a higher level is to raise your own skills.
0: So then why do firms, given the choice, invariably choose to increase executive pay rather than worker pay to get to the same level of productivity?
1: I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is a good reason. The other one I'm not quite as comfortable about. The number one reason is there seems to be a belief that getting rock star CEOs to come in can really improve your firm. And there's some truth to that. You look at a, a Lee Raymond at, at ExxonMobil, and, and there was a huge stink raised when Lee Raymond exited ExxonMobil because he definitely rode off into the sunset with piles and piles of cash. But on the other hand, it's very hard to argue that Lee Raymond running Exxon – didn't make ExxonMobil shareholders and employees and stakeholders and everyone else in ExxonMobil make them piles and piles of cash as well. In my opinion, Lee Raymond probably is one of the greatest CEOs in American history. Same with Jack Welsh. They ran firms that blossomed and that very easily could not have blossomed. And I think their management had a lot to do with it. And in, in Raymond's case, you know, he pulled off probably the most difficult or one of the most difficult corporate marriages in the history of firms. He married Exxon to Mobil. Two firms with wildly different corporate cultures, a marriage that very much could have turned out the same as the Time Warner AOL marriage, but instead went the other direction. And top management deserved a lot of credit for that. They somehow made it work.
0: Let's go back to a point you made earlier. You talked about a scarcity of CEOs. So what does this do?
1: That's where if people are really concerned about CEO pay levels, that's what they should be thinking about. And and I'm somewhat concerned about this as well. We know CEO pay began to really escalate in the 90s. And we have some anecdotal evidence that it has escalated even more here in this decade. And I think the reason is because we've made it harder and harder for people to be CEOs. So those who are CEOs can demand even higher pay, even higher premiums. And I think this is where there is a public policy issue because I think some policy decisions have been made that have made CEOs more scarce than they ought to be. Part of that is the Sarbanes-Oxley bill, well, now Sarbanes-Oxley law, which – requires CEOs to sign off on matters that I don't think CEOs have any way of knowing whether it's correct or not. So it becomes a very high-risk guess for them. And naturally, they're going to demand a ton of money to take a high-risk guess, or else you know they might end up like Kenley and head off to jail. Get rid of that. That's, that's ridiculous. It's just a gamble. CEOs cannot guarantee certain things that we demand that they guarantee in Sarbanes-Oxley, and the price will go back down.
0: Did CEO salaries actually markedly increase after Sarbanes-Oxley went into effect?
1: I don't have any hard data on that. There is some anecdotal evidence that it has. We do know CEO salaries or overall total CEO compensation began to accelerate a good bit in the 90s, and this is following the 1993 law limiting how much of a CEO and how much of a a top-level officer's pays can be written off of corporate taxes. What began to happen there is CEOs and other top-level officers began demanding all sorts of kind of exotic compensation packages that continued to pay them high levels of money without that money becoming taxed, things like corporate jets and country club memberships and et cetera, et cetera, things that probably their cost – to the firm is higher than their true value to the CEOs. And if we would get rid of that tax law, the CEOs would probably demand less cash than they are value of all these exotic other types of compensation, but sounded good at the time to pass this law. And so we've seen an acceleration. Uh, Henry Manny, good Cato friend, I believe he's an adjunct scholar of Cato, formerly head of George Mason's law school, now quasi-retired. He's argued that a lot of this starts back in 1968 with what's called the Williams Law. The Williams Law basically made high level corporate officers and managers harder to get rid of, and he believes began to insulate them. And so these managers began to demand higher pay than was necessary, but reduced the competition to become CEOs and top level managers, kind of started pushing in this scarcity, and that other things have simply built on on top of that. And I kind of follow Henry in this. I think we have made some foolish tax decisions, some foolish regulatory decisions that have made managers artificially scarce, and that's. Why their pay is so high. And it's not because they're bad guys. It's because, again, government has made some foolish decisions that's made their skills more scarce.
0: Would a cap on salaries be just another one of government's foolish decisions then?
1: Yeah, I don't get the cap idea at all, because all we'll do is, is then find some way around the cap, or else CEOs and corporations will flee the United States for other places where they can pay CEOs. Because we know now that the CEOs are, is a global market. We see amazing number of American names of corporations in Britain and in Asia. We see Asian and European names now affixing to U.S. corporations. It's a global market. And if we handicap ourselves, both the corporations and the CEO talent and top-level manager talent is just going to flee to other countries.
0: I think some people, perhaps incorrectly, link CEO pay to the low pay for line workers. How do you debunk that argument?
1: This is what I argue against that. Again, keep in mind, I believe, and pretty much every economist, I think, believes that Pay only is based on what other people with the same skill sets are willing to take for the same job. So if I were to suddenly drop CEO pay in half, that shouldn't in any way raise worker pay at all because it's still the competition among workers at that skill level that's going to set their pay, not what some guy above them on the ladder, below them on the ladder. This really is a fight. This is what's interesting. This is really a fight between managers and shareholders of firms. And this is an age-old fight. How do the managers protect themselves? How do the shareholders extract more and more money from the firm? I guess the notion right now is that the managers are winning, and so the shareholders are fighting back, and they're making this claim that, oh, well, we're on the side of the workers. But no, it's both of those sides fighting over the money.
0: The majority of support for the Cato Institute's work comes from individuals, and Cato depends solely on tax-deductible contributions to provide the public with a wealth of free resources, including this podcast. We hope you'll consider supporting or even joining Cato. For information, please go to www.cato.org.